We're not afraid to take risks on the Unbeatable Podcast. And on this episode, we're going to take a risk and we're going to talk about a couple of things that are really scary to most people, if they were honest. They would tell you that they're scared of hospitals because of how how many crazy, difficult things happen inside a hospital. Healthcare itself scares a lot of people. And then when you add to that technology, robotics, artificial intelligence, that freaks a lot of people out. Well, on this episode of Unbeatable, we're going to throw all of that together in a pot. We're going to mix it up and we're going to talk about AI-assisted robotics in healthcare. You heard me right with Charles Gelman. You will be excited for the future of healthcare when you hear this guy's interview with me today on Unbeatable. These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life and become unbeatable. For the people out there that are looking for a place to connect and invest, let me tell you about the Solomon Foundation. Solomon Foundation is huge. They have 7,000 investors and they're committed to helping the local church grow. They do that by creating an excellent return and making an eternal impact at the same time. And if what I said just sounds interesting to you, why don't you check them out? Just go to thesolomonfoundation.org. Now we get into AI-assisted robotics and healthcare on this episode of Unbeatable with my guest, Charles Gelman. Hey, Charles, thanks for taking some time out of a very busy schedule to be a guest on Unbeatable with me today. Thank you, Jeff, for having me. I'm really excited to talk a little bit about AI-assisted robotics and a little bit about the future of care. Yeah, well, you just gave everybody exactly where we're going to go with this episode right out of the gate. So obviously, you're a pro. You've done this a time or two, and I don't mean on that side of the microphone you got your own podcast you you know this uh you know this world pretty well yeah just uh you know it's a it's a new world for me i'm you know it's really excited to share our story and and what type of um technology can impact people in the future and i think it'll be a very interesting conversation to have with you today so before we get into what you're doing right now and really you're on the cutting edge of healthcare i want to tell you about my buddy leroy Leroy was in the army with me. He was deployed to Afghanistan. We were over there at the same time. He got in a big firefight and Leroy, uh, the enemy was overwhelming his position, uh, bullets coming in around him. A grenade flew over the wall that he was behind and Leroy picked the grenade up to throw the grenade back across the wall because it's about to blow up. Either I jump on it, I throw it across the wall or everybody dies from the grenade. And while he was trying to throw it back across the wall, the grenade blew up in his hand. Needless to say, blew his hand off. And if this injury would have happened 25 years ago, Leroy probably would have died because of that. It gave him great care. What I love about Leroy's story is that he received a robotic arm. And this robotic arm, he likes to show his robotic arm off because he can spin it in circles. He can flip people the bird with it. It'll do absolutely everything a normal human arm would do. And Leroy Petrie received the Medal of Honor for that fight on that hillside in Afghanistan. 
but I love to watch him show off that arm. He is proud of that robotic arm. And man, what you guys are doing today is giving people a quality of life that they have never had before. So now, before we get into the cutting edge of medical uh, technology and our future of healthcare, let's go back uh, in time a little bit. Tell everybody a little bit about your family, a little bit about what life was like growing up for you. Yeah, so I was born and raised in Southern California, so a lot of military folks. Oh, I was a so SoCal guy. Yeah, yeah heck yeah. So um, El Toro Air Force Base, while I was active, it, it yeah. was down there, so was able to uh, see quite a bit of uh, military action down there, and um, yeah, born and raised down there, very competitive family and swimming and water polo, you know, being close to the beach. So yeah. um, always, I was the youngest of three, always competing with my older brother and older sister, um, trying to uh, get to the same level, and never quite reaching it. All right. Um, when you got ready to finish school, you went to college and you, man, let's just be honest. You, you didn't take the easy route. So tell everybody a little bit about your education after finishing high school. Yeah. So um, after finishing high school, I started in college. And then I had a medical incident that happened. So I was, uh, I went to the doctor. We thought it was a kidney stone. I was having pain in the the, the lower quadrant of the abdomen, and I was misdiagnosed, uh -huh. and it was actually ruptured appendicitis. So because of that experience, I spent some time in the ICU uh, recovering, yeah. and it really changed the trajectory of my career. Also, educational background because. I had little to no knowledge in regards to medical acumen or knowledge base, and I really needed to educate myself, and that really just changed my, you know, compl completely into a different direction. The course. Did you have any desire to get into the medical industry when you were a kid in school? Like, what was your what was your childhood dream? What did you want to do with the rest of your life? Well, actually, um, when I was a, a little bit younger, around uh, nine and ten years old, I was I started flying planes. Um, so that was a, a big thing. You were a pilot at nine or ten years old. Yes, yeah, so I was very fortunate to have family members that were pilots and um, flying around Southern California, and you know, the single engine Cessna, the wow. dual engine. Um, yeah, so that was, uh, really my focus, uh, was just flying and swimming and having a good time. And, um, that was it. I didn't really trading baseball cards, you know, there wasn't really a, a big master <laughs> yeah. plan by any means. Charles, I was skydiving in Southern California in the military and jumping out of the back of Cessnas and twin otters. Who knows? Maybe you and I were in the air at about the same time. Although I would have been, I would have had a free fall parachute on my back. Um, while you were uh, up there flying, but I've, I've got this image of you in the cockpit with your uncle or a family member next to you at nine or 10 years old, holding the controls of an airplane. That's impressive. Man. Yeah. Whenever you're taxiing down the runway and you can barely see over, you know, you definitely get to look. <laughs> you got to sit on a stack of books just so you could see over the dash. Yeah. I love it. Um, okay. So let's talk about this medical emergency because I've known some pretty tough guys that have had kidney stones and they're like, Jeff, that stuff hurts. That is no joke. But you go to the hospital and you have pain. The doctors say, ah, it's just kidney stones. And probably, I don't know, but I'm guessing that they tell you, just go home, it'll pass, you'll be okay. And a ruptured appendix, I've had this happen to more than one buddy of mine in the military. If you don't get this thing treated and if you don't get it treated really quickly and really well, it will kill you. 
So let's dive into, let's take a deep dive into when they finally realize this is a ruptured appendicitis, what happens to your health next? Yeah. So, um, you know, mine was ruptured for a few days. I was going into septic shock. So when I was trying to go to the hospital, you know, just moving, you know, if you can imagine every single movement is just absolutely excruciating. Yeah. Um, so by the time I go to the hospital, I said, Charles, great news. We know what's wrong with you. We're going to cut you open. I basically have a scar from here to the bottom of my ass. From the middle of your <laughs> chest all the way down past your yep. belly button. Flay you wide Lay open. Lay me wide open and they left me open even after surgery. So uh, my abdomen was open for a couple weeks after trying to, you know, get me back and um, a couple surgeries on, in addition to that. So it was, um, oh man, it was painful, but I'm here and there's something to say about that. So, you know, sometimes yeah. we got to go through some you know, some pain in order to, you know, sustain and, and maintain and, and move forward in life. And this is just part of the journey. You said you spent some time in the ICU. How long were you in ICU? How, how, how close to death were you? I was within a day or two. Nobody will remember this, but for the guests that have been with us from right out of the gate, one of my second or third episodes, I interviewed very good friends of mine. Um, one of my best friends in the world, he had went to the doctor, had some problems, had some surgery, abdominal surgery as a result of testicular cancer. And then there were complications because of that surgery. He ended up spending like the next 12 weeks in the hospital and he, he, he dissolved to just a shell of a man in front of me, literally um, this big, strong, tough, very, very athletic guy uh, walks out of the hospital uh, gaunt and just a few pounds over uh, death. And um, this, the complications of the surgery almost killed him. I interviewed M, Nancy and Savannah Weaver, his widow and his daughter, because Aaron passed away, um, going back to Afghanistan and or going back to Iraq and serving as a helicopter pilot, even though he was still technically recovering from cancer treatments um, and was shot down over there. But a good part of that interview, we talked about how severe that abdominal surgery and the complications of that surgery impacted him. You described it, Charles, as a kind of an epiphany or a life-altering moment. You had to wrestle with, I, I'm, I'm just going to assume you're laying in that bed right there and you have to ask yourself, man, am I going to die? And if, uh, if I don't die, is what do I want the rest of my life to look like? I mean, What's going through your mind when you're in that hospital bed and you, as you just said, a day away from death? Yeah. So there was not a whole lot going on because I was in my early twenties. So not, don't, don't give me the benefit of the doubt to actually that I was able to connect the dots. It was really, took me years after to really understand the magnitude in addition to figuring out where I was heading. And it's a lot easier based upon your experiences as you're moving forward to start connecting things and putting things together. So in retrospect, you know, I was very naive. I, I, my educational background was very low level and also just understanding those experiences, navigating throughout, you know, all those, you know, thoughts and processes and experiences kind of came together later in life for me. When did you decide that you were going to study this? When did you decide you were going to kind of apply yourself to this? Maybe not spend the rest of your life, devote a career to it. But when did you, did you decide, I want to do something about the healthcare industry. I want to 
I want to make people healthier and a better healthcare system in the future. Well, after that experience, it opened my eyes to, you know, the delivery of care within, you know, United States and the variability of care between one provider or another. So that was tucked into yeah. the back of my head, right? It wasn't front and center, but it was definitely in there. Um, my undergraduate degree was in finance. So I was really heading down the same lineage or path that my older brother, you know, like we were talking about earlier, <laughs> um, I was trying to follow his yeah. footsteps because uh, he's an investment banker. And then after this experience, that's when I started to open up my eyes of, you know, maybe there's something different that I want to pursue. And that's where I, I really started to focus on healthcare. And I was very fortunate to get in with a small company called Johnson & Johnson. Yeah, a tiny little company that employs hundreds of thousands of people in one of the most respected and longest established countries in American history. Maybe you heard of it. Yeah. It makes stuff like <laughs> Band-Aids and, you know, other uh, medical uh, uh, major um, healthcare products. Yeah, so that, so you start off with Johnson and do what? Yeah, I started off Johnson Johnson. I actually started um, in pharmaceutical sales. So it gave me... You know, we, we, we talk about this, the foundational knowledge to speak with different providers, understand their habits, and also see firsthand the variability of care because each provider is a little bit different in the way that they conduct their activities. So there's a thing in, med in, in medical care called empiric treatment. And empiric treatment is based upon a provider's ability to deliver care based upon their medical school training and their clinical experience. So if you, uh -huh. you speak with an infectious disease specialist or a pulmonologist or internal med, you, they may see a similar patient, but they may treat them different based upon their unique experiences. And that to me, that's kind of, you know, you put the flag out there and that definitely caught my attention of what was going on. Okay, so you're you're describing kind of the difference in care all across the United States. There are lots of people tuned in right now that live outside of the US. Mm -hmm. They have no idea what you're talking about. And everyone who's in the United States has experienced this to a small or to a great degree. But would you just describe this a little bit to the audience that's not from the United States and they don't really understand what you're talking about right now? Yeah, so this is not just within the United States, but this is around the world. So when you see a provider, whether it's a physician, whether it's a nurse or a pharmacist, the delivery care varies based upon the person giving the care and identifying what d disease you present. Yeah. And it could be different. Let's, you know, take into account, you know, your friend, you know, you, you, anybody that's been in battle and had some type of uh, traumatic brain in injury, you know, that could be treated differently in Germany or a different country in the world versus the U.S. based upon the skill set and the technology and the device and equipment in that specific location. And those variabilities are compounded based upon who is there and the team that's there and the time that they're there. So yeah, everything, right. you just really, really think about the standard of care and if there is truly a standard of care. For the entire listening audience, one of the reasons why I'm having this conversation with Charles and we're taking the time to unpack this is because all of the world is impacted by this. If you live in the United States for about the last 15, 20 years, one of the most, uh, one of the most often discussed topics in the country is healthcare and access to great healthcare. But the truth is, this is all over the world. And 
Charles, as you well know, everyone listening to this knows this became uh, this came to the forefront at the start of COVID when the world started recognizing some countries have enough medical resources, some don't. Some have the right kinds of doctors, some don't. Some have access to medicine right away, others don't. And the whole world started to experience firsthand what we're going to talk about in this episode. And what you're saying is the care is different. Even if there were two hospitals in the same city on different corners of the street, the care in one hospital would be different than the care in the other hospital. Explain that one more time to people that are still trying to get their arms around this. Yeah. So think about it like this. You know, you know, we try to compare healthcare to planes, trains, and automobiles and going down an assembly line. And that's, you know, a combination of robotics and people following a specific methodology to build the blueprint of the airplane or the car. But when you take into account a person, right, you have a variety of different variables. There is no comparison. Yeah, you have. No. Yeah, nothing is the same in two human beings anywhere on the planet. Yeah, there's literally their fingerprints show you that. Yeah, the blueprint is the anatomy of the human body, right? So right. there is a frame of reference, but the interpretation of the disease or the conditions that are presenting to a provider are based upon them deciphering, you know, what is going on with that individual person and then making the best recommendation possible for yeah. a great outcome. Yeah. And I just want to say this, we're not going to bash the healthcare industry in this episode because I have the greatest respect for those guys and gals. In fact, in the United States, when surveyed all of the industries in the world, when the people of the United States surveyed, what industries do you trust? What professionals do you trust the most? For about the last 10 years, nurses have been number one on that list. Of all the professions on in the country, Nurses are the most trusted people in America when the country was surveyed. So we're not going to bash them. But what we are saying is everybody knows somebody who went to a doctor and the doctor made a guess and they didn't get it right. And it was misdiagnosed. And the doctor's doing everything they can with the available information that they have. But no one's going to have a perfect track record. But when you talk about people's health, not getting it right one time in your case or in another person's case could be deadly, literally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, so you go to school. I was, I was going to say, can you just describe this degree? You've got a degree that's about this long uh, in words, and I don't even understand what the words of the degree mean, let alone what you went to school at UC Davis to study. Um, can you talk us through a little bit of the education that it took for you to get into the world that you're in today? Yeah. So the degree that I have is it's a master's degree in clinical informatics, and that's just a fancy term for data science and stats. I was going to say, you got to explain this word because I've never heard it before today. Informatics. Did I say that yeah, right? Yeah, informatics. So clinical informatics okay. is basically the data sets that exist within the medical realm and aggregating those in totality to decipher a picture for people to understand so you can improve the way that we're doing things over time. Um, I'm just warning my wife right now, when we play Scrabble again, I'm going to use that word and I'm going to clean the board with the word informatics. 
But what did you, what did you actually, what, what did the degree actually teach you when you, when you got finished and, and really what did you want to accomplish with the degree? Yeah. So what I did during the degree is um, people in the United States are familiar with Medicare. Medicare is the largest insurer in the country and often mm-hmm. uh, many other countries around the world emulate what we try to accomplish with that, whether it's the NHS in the UK or, or other auxiliary government services. Right. What I did during my research is we aggregated all of the CMS databases for hospital performance. So for mortality, for readmissions, which is the the re-entry with a person yeah. going back to the hospitals, HAIs, which is healthcare associated infections. We I aggregated all that information for all 4,500 plus hospitals across the country for hospital executive leaders to understand who was doing well and who could enhance their performance based upon the hospital across the street. I'm sitting there thinking about the amount of data that you must have had to crunch when this was coming in. Like that's, that's incredible. That seems a bit overwhelming to be honest. Many people uh, thought it was but- absolutely absurd and crazy. What I was trying to take on for a master's degree, they thought it should be part of a PhD program, but thankfully I proved them wrong and I graduated. <laughs> Okay. I was going to say, I'm impressed, but I would have been part of that crowd that said, that's absurd. It's crazy. I don't even know how uh, anybody could crunch those types of numbers just because of the total amount of data that, that you're being presented with. No wonder your business, uh, business background and your time in pharmaceutical sales at J&J, uh, they probably set you up for being able to start looking at this maybe in a direction that other people in the healthcare industry wouldn't have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, we're built upon the culmination of experiences that we have in life. And it's about collecting those thoughts, you know, thinking about them a little bit different or uniquely. And then the conversations you have and that you see those disparities in the market, you know, can you create an ecosystem where things could change over time based upon all of those experiences? When was this that you really started to get into finishing the degree and started moving uh, into this arena, you know, head first. What time frame? So um, that I started, I believe that degree was in 2015-ish. Um, I was working full-time in medical software at that um, instance. And I already knew that in order for me to make an impact on folks, it was going to be from the technology side because, yeah. um, you know, going one-on-one with patients, you can only have an impact with the immediate touch. But if you want to have a broader impact on folks, you have to be able to touch them without, you know, touching them physically. Charles, I ask you this question. You already know what's going on in the, in the nation during this time frame. But for the listener out there that's not familiar with the Affordable Care Act and the the nightly news almost every night is talking about healthcare and the disparities in healthcare and how one person gets the treatment that they need, but another person doesn't even have access to that kind of treatment. Um, and you you find yourself like right in the middle of a social war over healthcare at this point in America. It's actually still raging, just not with the fervor that it was in 2015, 2014, 2016. Um, so man, you jumped in to this arena at a time where this was the hot button issue in our country. Yeah, it's it's really interesting the unique experiences and the the type of commentary that happens in the background. But it, it also begs the question, you know, a lot of the care that's delivered, especially in the United States, not so much in other countries in the world, is really within the hospital or clinic setting. 
And when you start to think yeah. about that, that's a sterile environment where you have the support of a nurse, of a pharmacist, of a doctor, you know, really surrounding the patient and then being able to provide, you know, that detailed information or to ensure that they're doing well. But the second a patient walks outside of the hospital or the clinic, I'm going to ask you a trick question. What type of resources? Uh -oh. I'm going to, I know I'm going to get this wrong. Go ahead. What type of resources do people have when they go home? They get on WebMD and they get some really, really bad information. They don't have a lot of resources around them. That's my answer. Okay. And then now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a second question. How many right. caregivers are there in the United States? I don't even know the number, but I know with 350 million people roughly in the United States and only 4,500 hospitals, COVID proved this. There's just not enough in the United States. There's not enough worldwide, but not enough. I throw, out a, throw out a number. Um, 250 grand, 40 million plus caregivers in the United States. <laughs> okay. I was close, man. I was really close on this one. 250,000 is closer to 40 million than five. Um, would have Fair been enough. Yeah. Um, obviously this is a really big, really powerful. And what we're saying, a really, uh, touchy industry. And it has been for the last generation in the United States. So uh, when did you decide, hey, I think I'm going to do something that will set the tone or maybe even set the pace for the healthcare industry to look to in the future? When did you decide to sit down and to start building a company and describe the company? Hido, is that how you guys yeah. pronounce it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So. Tell us about the foundation of the company, kind of the, give us the backstory. Yeah. So I started um, looking at startups. I was a, a mentor at StartX Med, which is a Stanford-based accelerator for a company that specialized in computational data drug discovery, which is a fancy term for, you know, it's using, a long term. using software to, you know, see if they can accelerate drug discovery. So new medications to the marketplace. Um, I started to circle around um, the startup world, um, you know, after I was finished with my degree, because I wanted to to be part of that ecosystem. Um, once I started to engage with um, other founders and, you know, speak with some investors, it started to get my head around, you know, what is going on at home? And that seemed to be something that I figured was already solved. So from a data science perspective, I, I wanted to see, you know, is there a blueprint for health? You know, when I was at Johnson & Johnson, I wanted to know that the medications that we were giving patients would have outcomes and they would have significant outcomes that would benefit themselves, but also yeah. sustain. And the one thing that we don't really know is the combination or the cocktail of medications based upon the disease state. What is that outcome? Oh, that's great. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Because oftentimes the drug uh, manufacturers will say, hey, we know this medicine does this thing. We also know there's a few side effects. And if you give patient X this medicine, it'll, it'll uh, you know, give them significant improvements on this problem. But what happens when X medicine is combined with Y medicine is combined with Z medicine? And what does that do to the human body? All of the effects, all of the... Um, benefits, but also all of the, you know, kind of the negative back effects of that. Uh, I don't know that I've ever heard anybody that's nailed that one down. 
Yeah. So really the, the culmination of this is around what is the blueprint for health? So what if we knew those outcomes based upon the cocktails and medication based upon age, gender, race, geolocation, socioeconomic status, all those other different parameters. And then instead of doctors or nurses, you know, doing the best they can based upon the medical yeah. training and experience, what if there was a way predictively or from a probability standpoint to ensure that they were getting the assistance from a tech standpoint to aggregate all of that information that already exists to make better decisions. And right now, anyone who's listening to this broadcast that has some family members that are have health problems, you probably are aware of the multiple medication and all of the effects of one medication has on the other and the two medications together have on their body. So right now, most of us that are listening probably know somebody who is living in this world, but there's nothing out there that does the math and kind of explains when you put all of these together, this is what it's going to do to the body. But these are also the effects of what's going to happen when you put all of this together. The amount of information here is just insane that we're talking about. So in just a second, we're not going to do it yet, but in just a second, Charles, we're going to get into AI and how AI is a centerpiece of your company. But I don't want to rush there because I want to talk about how scary I, I haven't met a startup, an entrepreneur. I haven't met somebody who pioneers that has it, doesn't have the same story of just how terrifying this was when you decided, you know what, I think I'm going to move into this arena. And I have no idea how it's going to play out. So talk to us about starting this company and all of the feels that go along with that. Yeah. So I equate, you know, starting a company like this to a roller coaster. You know, you have rolls and spins and loops and that big drop off where, you know, your stomach. Where the pit of your stomach <laughs> fall. Yeah. But what I'm going to yes. say is now you're on that roller coaster, but there's no track. And you have to build the track as you're moving forward. That's the feeling. That is the perfect description of how terrifying this must be. Let's just throw in another variable and it's in the dark. <laughs> you're on a roller coaster. There is no track in front of you. You're building it as you go and you're building it in the dark. Meaning I have no idea how this is going to turn out. And I'm betting everything on it because at some point, everybody who starts something if it's going to succeed, you have to decide, am I all in or not? And you have to kind of bet everything, maybe not professionally or personally, but you got to go all in on it. So you go all in on Heido and Heido is really doing something special. Uh, we're going to show the folks that are watching this by YouTube a clip in just a second. The, the folks that are listening to this get a chance to hear this exciting trailer that you guys have or that's been created that that just demonstrates the company but before we show the clip tell everybody a little bit about what the company is actually uh what it's set out to accomplish yeah so the goal of Heido, which is an ai assisted robotic device is to figure out the blueprint for health to improve millions of lives right now it's accessible for some um, Medicare Advantage plans in the United States, but also veterans across the country that get home health. So veterans and spouses have access to this device. 
what we're trying to accomplish is to alter the way people care for themselves at home so they can live with independence and freedom without being reliant on the caregivers. So you just said two phrases that I think we need to dig into a little bit deeper, and we're going to do that right after this clip, but you describe it as AI robotics. Uh, explain that phrase again. AI assisted robotics. Okay. AI assisted robotics. If you're watching this by YouTube, I want you to check out this trailer for the company. And if you're listening right now on your favorite podcast platform, I want you to listen to the trailer of what this company is and what they're accomplishing. Check it out, will you? I do not want to die over medication. I've been taking my medication like on schedule and I don't, and I'm not afraid of overdosing. I think it's a very good machine. It's perfect for somebody that needs to have medication every day. Hido can help enhance virtual care by guiding patients through medication compliance. Hido automates the medication experience and removes the person's burden. Hido dispenses the right medication at the right time, the right frequency, and the right person. Hido records the medication consumption record to ensure compliance and alerts pharmacists about interventions. I run Global Venture Capital and M&A for a large Japanese-based multinational. Really about simplifying the patient journey and what they should be doing day to day. So concatenating these data sets, this is, this is everything in my book. I think Hido has the ability to not only create the most unique data set for drug-on-drug interaction in the world, but can allow us to incrementalize that data into new product creation. We were relying on the four walls of the hospital. Care delivery is occurring at those endpoints as opposed to continuous. Solutions like Hido are in the home. And it would be really cool to just be a small part of that journey. So. You give people a bag of drugs and you give them a single page of information. You're talking about just the reality for so many Americans. We're assuming you're taking it as instructed, but there's no way to validate that. When you come in, how you been? I'm fine, you're taking your medication. Yep, next. I think I'm on about 10 different medications, if not more. I do not want to die over medication. It mentally, it's exhausting. Physically, it's exhausting, but I tried to go through it and I wonder to myself, how much longer can I do this? You know, hospitals are dangerous places. 200,000 medical errors a year. How about if we can take care of you at home? Because he'd rather go fire up the hot rod and, you know, not worry about the meds he's taking. Then he pops the Snickers for lunch. And next thing you know, his eyes hurt and his feet hurt and he's swelling. He needs a Hido device. This is the culmination of many patients patients' feedback, patients' questionnaires. My mind was blown that this was even an option and that we'd be able to bring it into our homes. Trained their mother-in-law that has dementia and she was taking her medications like pretty much 100% of the time on time. So this has been a life-changing technology for that family. That machine is fantastic. I wish I had it years ago. All right, so that clip just described with with healthcare professionals and people how your con- company is literally saving lives. And man, you're doing it for a handful of people now. Let's hope that one day this is taken off, not only all across the United States, but it's taken off around the world. 
But man, um, I think I have a few questions and I'm guessing some of the audience has a few questions about AI and robotics. When you talk about healthcare, I mean, just AI alone causes some concerns. We want to, I want to ask you a few questions about that in, sec, in a few minutes. And then the robotics part of it, healthcare is a very human um, event. And the robotics part of it must scare some people along the way because you are kind of uh, removing a little bit of the humanity in the human side of healthcare. How do you help people get over that reservation when you talk about this device? Yeah, so you have to think about how people are currently served within the home. And we had that discussion a little bit earlier. Is, you know, When you're in the hospital yeah. setting or the clinic setting. Sure, you got the whole team you around. You have yeah. resources. There's people there. But the, when you go home, look in the mirror because that's who you're depending on. And the the type of adoption we've had with the Hydro device is significant because they don't see it as a robotic device. They see it as an assistant and they know that there's another person on the other side of that. So they see it as an extension of their provider, of their nurse, of their doctor, knowing what's going on at home and being able to support their health over a long period of time. So there is some negative connotations around AI and robotics, but the patients that we've served and they've you know gone anywhere from people with terminal cancer to stroke, to diabetes, yeah. to dementia, to vets that have heart failure, you know, the, the one overlying theme across everybody is that they're happy that somebody cares for them and they know that right. we're there for them when they need it. Yeah. And I, I listen, I'm not going to uh, talk bad about AI or robotics in any industry and certainly not in healthcare. I'm the kind of guy who says, man, come on with all of the access we have for all of the technology, use it to help make people healthier and make give them a better uh, quality of life. But it feels a little bit like the movie Elysium, right? Where there's some access to healthcare device on that Elysium, uh, you know, satellite floating around that the people that are stuck down here on the lowly earth surface don't have access to. And really the, the challenge of healthcare is just accessibility. Even as you described it, accessibility, the moment you walk out the doors of a clinic or a hospital, you lose accessibility. And the Hido, the Hido device has given you accessibility to robotics and AI in the home, which I'm a guy who says yes. And of course we should have been doing this. I'm glad that Charles, you started walking down or, you know, started helping the world head down this road. Um, and every time you go down a road that hasn't been traveled before, man, there are some obstacles along the way. Would you describe some of what it took to try to put artificial intelligence and robotics together as it relates to an individual, every person's very different, an individual's healthcare, like just describe some of those challenges that you had to overcome. Yeah. So when you start thinking about building a company that presents a whole host of challenges on its own, you know, you're recruiting very sophisticated team members that want to work for less than what they're worth. 
<laughs> then uh, well, yes because you're brand new and you can't afford to pay anybody what they're worth to include you and on top of that dynamic we're gonna work, make you work harder than you've ever worked before uh-huh. in- and pay you less to do it precisely yeah. and then uh, anybody else want to join that that anybody else want to sign up for that job opportunity and then on top of that we are going to push forward with technology that nobody has before built or put together. And then we're going to test it in an unknown environment to see if anybody will even adopt it. Which really is building the track for the incredibly terrifying as well as thrilling roller coaster that you're on. And you don't even know where the next turn is going to be. You just got to handle it when it comes your way. man. Talk about courage, the kind of courage to face those challenges at a time where the the nation, this was the controversial issue. But we can, I'll just add another variable to that. There are still many people all over the world that are really freaked out by by artificial intelligence. And they're saying, I don't even know if I want to open up Pandora's box. So I don't know if I want anything to do with AI. Mm -hmm. How do you help those people, Charles, that are really, really hesitant to robotics in the first place and AI in the second place? And now you're com- you're combining them together and putting them in my home. Yeah. So Haido is not meant for everybody. Haido is meant for the patients that struggle to care for themselves or they want to maintain their health so they can live a normal life. In the United States and you know broadly across the world, 1% of the population costs about 40% of all medical spend. Every dollar okay. that goes in. You got to say that one again, because people were driving and they missed that stat and they need to hear that. Every dollar that goes in, 40 cents of every dollar goes to 1%. Which means there's a huge imbalance. If this was a seesaw on the playground, there is somebody really, really overwhelming the other side of the equation. I'm going to make it even better for you. of the population cost 80% of all medical spend. You go on the seesaw, you got, you know, five kids on one side and you got one kid on the other side. That is how medical costs are spent right now. Wow. Yeah. And by the way, that's not the United States. That's worldwide. And that's just because individual health care, one person's health can be that difficult compared to 80% uh, you know, 15, 10, 10, 15 other people on the other side. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm going to give you a, a hot button issue that many people, you know, talk about, and they talk about medication costs, right? There's active discussions around medication costs and access uh-huh. to medication. Of course there is. Yep. And that is, you know, that, that is an issue for some medications recognize that, but the majority of folks have access to medication. So now I'm going to throw out this quagmire. If people have access to the medications, and they're, they have them in front of them, you know, wouldn't that be an absolute travesty if they have those medications and they simply aren't taking them as prescribed? Yeah. Taking grandma or grandpa, taking their medicine when they're supposed to take their medicine impacts more than just them. It impacts everybody in the home, as you know. 
But uh, I want to remind the listener, like for those of you who are saying, I don't even know that I care that much about this industry. Well, let me just take you back in time a couple of years ago when the whole world was holding their breath. And I mean, literally holding their breath while companies were trying to figure out a solution, a vaccine for the coronavirus and do something that had never been done before. And all of the, the medical community around the world rallied together and said, man, we've got to figure this out and we've got to figure it out fast because people are dying by the tens of thousands every day. And really that's when, when you're healthy, it feels like nobody cares. When you're not healthy, it is urgent and I need it yesterday. And there's no time to wait for a solution when you need it. And the whole world, you know, early 2021, uh, I mean, late 20, 2020, early 21, the whole world was holding their breath, waiting for Johnson and Johnson, um, Pfizer, and, um, you know, to crank out a, a vaccine. And then what happened next, and I remember this vividly, is the world was waiting for their turn with the vaccine because of the delivery of that medication. And some people in the world had it quickly. Others had to wait six, nine months for it. And am I going to lose a family member because our country doesn't have that kind of medical capabilities? And we're not even sure when it's going to show up in our ports in order to make it to people that are dying by the tens of thousands. Um, so man, there's never a time where what you're doing doesn't matter. But if, uh, if, the world, uh, if the world didn't care about this in 2019, 2020 and beyond got their attention. Yeah. And yeah, th you're, just, you're demonstrating just how important AI, robotics, and healthcare are. Um, it, it frankly surprises me. Wh why did it take us this long to figure out, of course, we should use AI um, assisted robotics. Why wouldn't we do those? Well, things? I'm going I'm to throw something back you know, for your audience and for yourself to think about, you know, you know, you mentioned COVID and the development of drugs. Now think about accelerating drug delivery now, because a yeah. lot of clinical trials are patient dependent, which means right now we're asking patients whether or not they've taken medications or asking them to write down in diaries if they're yeah. doing that. So why would we rely on something that we've done for the last 40 or 50 years and not evolve to the now where they can get real-time data. So those data scientists can spend less time proving out whether or not the data is reliable and more time, you know, accelerating the studies and accelerating the drugs to market. So if there is an event that happened or you do have a loved one or you do have a friend, they have the medications in order to treat whatever that disease might be. Yeah. And the truth is by doing what you're describing right now, Charles, everybody in the world benefits because if we are more accurate, if we have better access to the information, then the people that create the drugs, those that deliver the drugs, the medical providers that administer the drugs, all of them can be more accurate. All of it can be more effective. If we are more, uh, if we can just um, understand and interpret the information better, but that requires having accurate information to begin with, which is what your company is doing. And basically, everyone on the planet stands to benefit from something like that, even if you don't have 
a Hydro device in your house. Mm -hmm. And I, I almost feel like the patient's journey at home is similar to what you described with our personal journey about it being a dark place. You know, right now it's kind of the black box that exists in the home because providers don't know what's going on. But what we can do is we can put a light and shine it and bring accountability and transparency so they can have a dialogue of exactly the behaviors that are happening, what medications are aren't working, what are working, and then make changes according to what takes place versus taking someone's opinion if they remember what happened right. and then yeah. communicating yeah. that broadly. And that's how doctors are responding right now. Well, Charles, I love your imagery of building the roller coaster that you're on while you're on it. Um, when you first started this company, you started it using AI-assisted robotics. Those two alone have some big challenges. You're in the healthcare industry. That has some big challenges. But when did the company finally start to gain some traction? Like, What was it that caused people to say, all right, you know what? I think I believe in this, or I think I believe in it enough that I'm willing to give it a shot. Yeah. So we had some you know, patient experiences that absolutely shocked us. So as we we're building this thing, we we're also testing out in the market and we had friends of friends and you can see some of those, you know, patient testimonials on our YouTube channel um, that came to us. You know, one was a dementia patient. Um, her name is Gloria and her daughter-in-law came to us and she said, can you help my mother-in-law that has dementia that's living with us with this device? And I, I wasn't sure, I, you know, I hesitated, you know, but I said, you know what, why not? Good for you. Let's just, yeah, let's just sure. go for it. You know, I, I, I would prefer to be able to say, you know what, didn't work than say no. So we deployed the unit, you know, she, um, she picked up, Gina picked up the device from my house. I didn't go to their house. They set it up for Gloria. Wow. <laughs> uh, they set it up. You know, and she was able to use it. And what was shocking about this is that um, Gina and her husband, they went to dinner and Gloria was at home and she was able to use the device with no assistance. And she took her medications and that gives a nice little, you know, notice that, you know, congratulations, you took your medications. They were at dinner when that happened. They called me and they said, hey, Charles, um, Gloria took her medications. The, can you check? the logs to see if this actually occurred. And we have a, a recording that occurs when a, a patient takes it. I said, yes, Yeah. we were absolutely shocked, all of us, um, that this is possible. So sometimes we have our own self-limiting doubts of what is possible and you got to right. test things to experience what is possible, that the power of the human mind and spirit is so strong. You got to give people a chance. I hope people that are listening right now that have a dream, that are they have an idea, they would love to pursue that, but it's so terrifying. They're not sure if they even want to get started because it's how scary it is. I hope they're hearing this success story from Gloria and they're, it's causing them to say, man, I, I'm terrified about what this might entail, but Charles is giving me the motivation I need to go pursue that dream. As you were telling me that story, man, I was thinking, you know what you're really doing? You're using tomorrow's technology to take us back to the healthcare that we had a hundred years ago. When a country doctor showed up at your door with a little black bag and he took care of you in your home, you're using artificial intelligence and robotics to take us back to 
quality healthcare in the home, which hasn't happened since that country doc with the little black bag a hundred years ago, man, this is incredible. Well, I think we need to change our logo. <laughs> yeah. Um, so with just a few minutes that we have left, uh, you're, you've described, we've, we've used this analogy several times already. You're on a roller coaster. You're still building it while you're riding it. It is thrilling. It is terrifying. And I even want to say you're probably still doing it in the dark because who knows what's coming around the corner. But I know people want to ask this question. If there was a live audience, I'm sure somebody would say, what do you think the future looks like? Like, what would it look like for AI powered robotic surgery? Or is there, uh, what do you think, Charles, the future looks like for healthcare and Hido's involvement in healthcare? Yeah, I believe providers will not be replaced by AI. So we don't need to be concerned about that. AI. There will always, I want to, I just want to reiterate something that I think I just heard you say. Did you just say there will always be a human element to healthcare in, in our future? That is correct. I always believe a human will touch another one, but what I do believe is AI can enhance the performance of the person that is touching patients for better outcomes. I do believe that's plausible. Yes, I totally agree. Yeah. Uh, AI can crunch data that no team of people on the planet can crunch and they can do it faster and better than anybody else can. Yeah. So what else do you think the future looks like? Well, I think that we can create a blueprint for health. I do believe that there's specific cocktails of medications or physical therapy or types of surgeries where we can elicit those best outcomes. So I do see a future where those data sets do come together to create a visualization of what care should be based upon specific people, age, gender, race, location, socioeconomic outcomes, you know, family related information. I believe all of that information can come together so we can make suggestions or protocols of treatment. So there's a standard of care, no matter where you went to school or your clinical expertise yeah. throughout, yeah. not just the country, but the world. Yeah. You really are providing, you're providing a service to the world because as information gets assimilated and distributed, everybody in the world benefits from that. Um, there's a lot of exciting stuff that's on the horizon for you. The people that want to know more about where you guys are and where you've been, would you tell them about the documentary, um, you know, that was, that just came out a, a few months ago? Yeah. So we filmed over the last three years with thought leaders across the country. Some of these folks you're going to know, you know, the former CEO of Kaiser, the former chief health plan administrator from CalPERS, which manages $10 billion a year. There are some notable folks that I am absolutely shocked that they let us film. That's 10 billion with a B. Um, and they, they got involved in this documentary. Where can people find this documentary? What's the title of it? So it is um, AI Robotics, The Hido Story. It's on our YouTube channel. You don't need to pay for it. You can just watch it. Um, our goal is just to spread the awareness of what's possible so we can impact humanity as a whole. And we're going to put this, by the way, in the notes. So if you're driving, you don't have to pull over and write this down. But when he said AI uh, robotics, the Hido story, Hido is H-I-D-O. We'll put all of that in the notes. In fact, we're going to give you a link to his YouTube channel. 
um, in the notes to this episode, but I know people are excited. I know people want to know more. And if they want to know more about the company, they want to know more about you or what's what's happening next. Where's the best way for them to find that information? Yeah, so if you go to our website, it's heidohealth.com, H-I-D-O, health, or you can go visit us at the YouTube channel that um, will be in the link below. And you know, if you have any questions, go ahead and send us a message or a comment or, or feedback on the, any of the, the YouTube channels. We'd be happy to hear from any of your audience. And if you come knock on his door, you might even be able to pick one of these up and take them home with you tonight. Uh, no, I don't recommend you do that. Um, but Charles, thank you, man. Thank you for being not only a guest on this show, but thank you for assimilating information, distributing that information, not just for the people that are using your product, but for everybody in the world today. Thanks, man, for being on this episode with me. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Charles got me fired up in this episode about the future of healthcare. He used the perfect description of building the Heido company by describing it as riding a roller coaster with all the thrills and all of the stairs of it and building the track. And while you're at it, building it in the dark because you don't know what's coming around the corner. If you wanna know more about his company, if you wanna know more about what they're doing, just look in the notes to this episode and check out his company, check out their YouTube channel. We've linked those in the notes to this episode. I hope you were as excited as I was about what this company might be able to do, not just for their clients, but for the world. I wanna tell you thanks. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for watching this episode. If you were listening to us on Stitcher, can I remind you that Stitcher is about to go away. In fact, you've got just one or two more weeks to move over to a different podcast platform. If you haven't done it already, why don't you just go ahead and start watching these episodes on YouTube or go ahead and subscribe on one of the other audio platforms because Stitcher is going to be the way of the dodo in just a couple more weeks. I also want to say thank you to everybody who stays connected with us all week long on social media. You guys and gals are amazing. You really are. And one really amazing fan, follower, friend is Thomas Mary. Thomas, thank you for being connected with us. You're our fan of the week this week and I just wanna give you a big high five. I don't know where you are, but hold up your hand because I'm giving you a big high five right now to just say thank you for staying connected. Did you guys know that we have a group of people within the group of people that are connected with this podcast? They're called the Unbeatable Army. And I send out content directly to their inbox each week. It's totally free. There's no subscription cost and no uh, hidden agenda here. If you just want free stuff from me all week long, why don't you go ahead and join the Unbeatable Army by simply going over to unbeatablearmy.com. Thanks for being part of this episode and hanging out with me and Charles. I'll see you back here next week. God bless.